You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Praise the Lord, everyone out there in podcast land, YouTube land, Facebook land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with you one more time to do another very exciting uh, uh, final concluding episode in our study on the long delay. But this time, uh, this episode, we're actually going to be teaching on the seventh trumpet of Revelation. You do not want to miss this episode. There's so much that we have been told and so much that we haven't been told concerning the blowing of the seventh trumpet. And it is very, very important because God saw had a reason to put the information in the book of Revelation that he did concerning the seventh trumpet. And you are going to be absolutely amazed. God's word is true, ladies and gentlemen. And God doesn't make any mistakes. What he put in the Bible is for our learning, for our admonition, for our preparation. And what's in there, we need to know all of it. And don't let anybody fool you. The book of Revelation was written to an end time church that will still be on earth to see a lot of the things that are written in the book of Revelation. Now, in my pre-RAF, uh, a doctrine that I teach, which is different than other pre-RAF doctrines, but the bottom line is I do not teach that the church goes all the way through the entire uh, 70 week of Daniel or the entire last half of the uh, 70 week of Daniel. But what I do teach is this, is that somewhere between the middle and the end, the rapture will occur. So it's imminent in that sense within that time period, because we don't know when it'll happen, but we know it'll happen somewhere in that second half before the end. Will the church go through the bold judgments? Of course not, because that is declared to be 
the wrath of God. We're not going to go through that. But the bottom line is, is the church will still be here when the Antichrist comes. The church will still go through the persecution that the Bible talks about. Glory to God. Those saints in Revelation 13 are not some group of mamby-pamby Christians that, that didn't make the cut when the rapture happened. That's how pre-trib tells the story. This is not pre-trib, nor am I teaching pre-trib. So fasten your seatbelts. We are about to go on a ride through the Revelation revolution. Again, this is Dr. Dennis James Woods. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you in the name of Jesus for your love, mercy, and grace. We thank you for tune, allowing us to tune in to this episode, Lord God. Bless all of those who have tuned in. Bless all those who are going to hear, whether it be over the internet or on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or whomever or however they hear this message, Lord God. We're asking you to God to bless them, open their hearts, open their mind, open their understanding that they may hear uh, and see and learn what thus saith the Lord concerning these matters. So we thank you, Lord God, for all things. And we ask you, Lord God, according to your wisdom and your grace, that you continue, Lord God, to bless us and keep us in Jesus' name. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, Again, this is going to be a great, great lesson. And so without any further ado, let me get my screen share going here so we can, so you guys can study along with me in the name of Jesus. Glory, glory to God. And let's get, a, let's get expanded up here. Oh, we got to get it right. We got to get it going right. Amen. Glory to God. I think, I tell you, this technology is uh, something else. And so uh, we're going to have a great time. Revelation Revolution presents part three, the seventh trumpet. Our thematic text is going to be Revelation 11 verses 15 through 18. Oh, glory to God. First, what we want to do is put in and do a review. So let's, let's do that. So remember, at the blowing of the seventh trumpet, several things happen, okay? Several things happen. Number one, the long delay will be over. The long delay will be concluded. Okay, we saw that in uh, Revelation chapter 10, verses 7, and we also, uh, uh, and that's based on even what Peter, the Apostle Peter talked about in his second epistle, uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, where he talks about God's, he's, God is not slack concerning his promises, but his long-suffering and then he says, you know, with, with the Lord, a day is as a, like a thousand years. So the Lord is coming back quickly. He is, he is doing things quickly. It's just that it's according to his time and not ours. 
So uh, according to his time, at a day, if a day is a thousand years, he, Jesus was only here two days ago. So that's quick, okay? And God's going to bring, bring things to a conclusion fast. He is, but it's according to his time. Now, it turns out to be thousands of our years. And so this is why the issue of the long delay comes up. Glory to God. Well, at the seventh trumpet, that long delay is over. Glory to God. Also, what happens at the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God shall be completed. That's the other aspect of it. So you have a long delay that's being that's that's going to be over, and the mystery of God is completed. Those of you that followed along in our study last week, we discovered that this mystery of God was declared to the prophets. Therefore, it was declared by the prophets, and mean, which means the prophets prophesied about a mystery that they didn't understand, but yet they spoke about it in their words. Glory to God. And their prophecies were latent and hidden golden nuggets of truth concerning the church. The Old Testament prophets prophesied directly about the church. Not in every prophecy in the Old Testament, but I'm just saying, speckled throughout the Old Testament, uh, uh, the Old Testament prophets prophesied about the church. Now, they didn't understand it as the church. They didn't understand it as the mystery body of Christ. They didn't understand it that way. But they prophesied directly about it. And a perfect example of that we see in the prophecies of Joel. In Joel chapter 2, he prophesied on the, in the last days I will pour out of my spirit, saith the Lord. Your young man shall dream dreams, your daughters shall prophesy, all that. You we know the whole text. Peter is the one who picks it up in the book of Acts and says, uh-uh, these men are not drunk as you suppose, but this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. So Joel prophesied about the church, even though he didn't know he was prophesied about the church because it was, it was a mystery to him and it was a mystery he didn't understand. And he didn't even know about the entity yet. His prophecies contained information directly concerning the inauguration of the church. And he did that hundreds of years in advance. And so this mystery church is the, oh, so what we find out as we go through the Pauline epistles, we find out that the oldest mystery in the Bible is the, is the prophecy or, or, or the revelation that was kept secret from the foundation of the world. The church is the oldest mystery that is articulated as such in the Bible now. Of course, there's probably going to be more mysteries with God, but I'm talking about what's in the Bible that we could, that we could go back to. You know, So the mystery of the church was hidden before the world began. So how do you get older than before the world began? <laughs> so if it is some, if there are, excuse me, if there are other mysteries in heaven, human beings are not privy to them. I'm talking about the things that we are privy to, glory to God, the things that God has decided to reveal. Well, the oldest revealed mystery in the Bible is the mystery of the church because the church was foreknown and, 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 uh, 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 predestined and all of that before the world began. 
And so Paul talks about these mysteries and he says they were hidden from other people. Glory to God. And so, but this mystery of God concludes. Concludes at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. Notice when uh, now, and the thing, the interesting uh, uh, thing uh, here is, is the mystery of God is completed. Glory to God. The mystery of God is completed. As a matter of fact, let's go to the passage. I want to show you this because it's important that you understand what I'm saying here. Okay. All right. Here's what it says. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, listen to this, the mystery of God should be finished. Now, that's how it says it in the New King James. We're going to bounce around a few translations here. Let's start out with the Holman uh, uh, Bible. The Holman Bible, uh, the, it says, but in the days of the sound of the seventh angel, when he will blow his trumpet, then God's hidden plan will be what? Completed. See, this plan is, there's a plan that God has that is completed at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. So this is a specific, this is a specific plan. This is a specific mystery because you have other things that happen beyond the seventh trumpet. You got the bold judgments, you got the millennium, you got Armageddon, you got all this other stuff that is yet to come even after the seventh trumpet blows. Okay, you have all a lot, a lot of it. We're not done with history at the blowing of the seventh trumpet when it when it begins to sound. And notice what he says. But uh, um, uh, but in the days of the sound of the seventh angel, when he will blow his trumpet, then God's hidden plan will be completed. So it's something that God was working on that gets completed at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. So we're not talking about his millennial reign. We're not talking about him coming back in Armageddon and all that. We're not talking about that. This happens at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. It's a mis It's a, and it was in mis It was a mystery that was that is completed. Okay, let's look at it in the uh, NASB. The mystery of God shall be finished. So that means it's something that God was working on that was in mystery form that gets completed at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. So that's how we have to, that's how we have to narrow down what the possibilities of this, of this is. Let's look at the NIV, okay? The mystery of God will be accomplished, okay? And notice what he says, but in the days of the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet. In the days that he's about to sound it. Some say when he sounds it or when he begins to sound. Because the seventh trumpet does cover, cover a duration. That's not a problem. Not a problem with that. But when he begins to sound, this mystery will be completed. The mystery of God 
will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So whatever this mystery is, he announced it. He didn't de totally declare. See, announcing is one thing. They, he, he announced it to his prophets. And what he announced to his prophets, his prophets announced to the people. So that means what he announced to them is in their writings. He announced to Joel the day of Pentecost or the inauguration of the church that would occur on Pentecost. Now, whether Joel understood it as being the mystery body of Christ, with Christ being the head and we being the body and many members and 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 it was it was a mystical uh, union of Jew and Gentile and uh, all baptized and by, by uh, into uh, into one body by the same Spirit, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, all of that. Now, whether Joe understood that is doubtful, doubtful at all. Whether Joe understood when it was going to happen, doubtful at all. All he was told to do is write it down, give the prophecy. He was giving a prophecy about an entity that he had no knowledge of or could possibly understand. But it wasn't for him to understand because God can give prophets, he can give people information, and they don't even know what they're dealing with. They don't even know what it means themselves. Glory to God. So let's look at in, in the ESV, okay? Uh, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. Okay, so you get the idea here that we're talking about something. If something is going to be completed or finished, then that means it's something that God is actively working on that is concluded at a certain point. And this certain point, of course, is the blowing of the seventh trumpet. And so that's why. I wanted to take a minute to go back over here to, uh, to get that information because it's important. I wanted to, to break that down for you so that we understood it. So again, there's a lot of stuff that happens at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. The longer the delay will be over. The mystery of God will be completed. The mystery of God, as, as we said, we just emphasized what the word completed means. Now listen to this, completed again, means to means a completed or finished implies something being worked on or not finished until a certain point that's what complete means glory to god so let me let's get a clue of what this means what did jesus say jesus said glory to god i will build my church Ladies and gentlemen, since Pentecost, that's what Jesus has been doing. He's been doing the building. Well, how does he build his church? Does he go out and get brick and mortar? Does he go out and get wood and glass and iron and build a big old church? No, he builds the church with the souls that the Father has given him. Jesus and John said, all that the Father gives to me shall come to me, and him that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. He said, I didn't come to do my will, but I came to do my Father's will. And all that the Father has given to me, he said, I'm going to raise them up on the last day. Glory to God. He's going to raise them up. 
Glory to God. All that the Father gives to him. So what Jesus is doing, he's building his church with the souls of men that are redeemed out of the world. As a matter of fact, that's what the word church means. Ecclesia, the called out ones. Ones called out of darkness into the marvelous light. Glory to God. So Jesus says, I will build my church. So since he's in the process of building, he hasn't finished the church yet. Glory to God. And it won't get, it won't be completed or finished until the blowing of the seventh trumpet when the long delay is over. And the long delay is in place. Why? Peter told us, so that men would repent. God is not slack concerning his promises, but he wants people to be saved. So in the time that we have this long delay, glory to God, Christ is doing what? Working. He's building his church. And just like it says uh, 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 in Romans chapter 11, uh, uh, 25, and when that's finished, Glory to God. When the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, he said, that's when the mystery, that's when that mystery is going to be fulfilled. The mystery of Israel's blindness is attached to the completeness. The lifting of Israel's blindness is attached to the fullness or the completion of the church. Glory to God. And so these are the things that happens during the seventh trumpet, ladies and gentlemen. This is, this is no light little thing. This is serious business of what God is doing in the earth realm, okay? The church, number one, like we said, the church is one of the oldest mysteries in the Bible, if not the oldest. Glory to God, I'm trying to hard-press and thinking of something that's older than the church when it comes to mystery. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter number three, verses three through 11. This is what it says. Paul talked about how that the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Glory to God. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can proceed my insight into the mystery of Christ. Glory to God. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. What is this mystery? This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the preaching of the gospel. So it is through the gospel that God, cho God chose the foolishness of preaching, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter, no, I believe, one, chapter 1 or 2. He chose the foolishness of preaching to save men. So as he got, Jesus is saving people through the proclamation of the good news of the gospel during this period of long delay, which we know is the church age, which we know is grace, which has been going 2,000 years years now, which the first generation of church saints thought Christ was coming in their day, oh boy, were they 1,900 years off. Glory to God. So they were wrong about that. They missed it on that one. And I'm so glad he waited on us. Glory to God, because uh, we wouldn't be part of the glory that is going to come. 
And so God has a people in mind. God said, I'm not, the Lord said, I'm not coming back till the fullness of the Gentiles is comes, comes in. Then I'm going to go back to Israel. Then I'm going to lift their blindness. But right now, I'm going to leave their blinders on while I deal with the Gentile church. And while I'm dealing with the Gentile church, I am building my church. And the church isn't completed yet. And we know that because Christ hasn't come back yet to take it out of the world. And the reason why he hasn't come back yet, because the seventh trumpet hasn't blown and the long delay is not over. And the mystery of God is not complete yet. All of these things come to an end at the seventh trumpet. Glory to God. All right now, let's continue in Paul's mystery here. He says, uh, uh, okay, let me, uh, verse number six. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul is telling this thing has been hidden for ages. It's a mystery that's been hidden. It's the oldest mystery articulated in the Bible. This is the oldest one. Glory to God. This is an old mystery before the world began, before the ages began. God kept this thing secret of what he was going to do. Glory to God. Listen to this. Verse number 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might show, might now be made known. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose. Told you this mystery is old. Purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, God is saying this, is, listen, we are spectacles, not only to God in Christ, but to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Ladies and gentlemen, these are principalities and powers that are not human. God was using the church, how he redeemed the church, how he sent Christ, how he sent Christ to die for us, how he gave us his spirit, how he created a mystical body called the church, how he's going to do all of this through what? The preaching of the gospel sent down through the anointing of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. The angels didn't know about how God was going to do it. The principalities and powers in heaven didn't know. So God is, uh, is using the church as an object lesson about his manifold wisdom, but he's making this point to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. I told you, this is an old mystery goes all the way back before in the beginning. Glory to God. Glory, glory to God. Yes, yes, this is, this is heavy. This is deep stuff. Even in Peter's epistle, 
Peter said, even the angels desire to look into these things. Glory to God. Glory to God. Let's, let's matter of fact, let's, let's go there. You know, see, I, I, I get one of these good texts. You, you see, I, I want you to, I want you to experience this with me, so you can, so you can get with me, get excited with me, so you can understand what's going on. Glory to God! Look at this, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, glory to God! Listen to this concerning this salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that it was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. And they, now, now listen, it said these prophets, they searched and inquired about it carefully. Why? Because God was declaring mystery form to them. They didn't, but they didn't get it all. They was, they, they was touching on it now, but they didn't, they didn't get, they didn't get the clear revelation that wasn't given until later on, till Paul would come. And because Paul didn't even break all this stuff down to the other, the God didn't break all this stuff down even to the other apostles. And this is why Peter said some of the things Paul, the brother Paul teaches are hard to be understood. Yeah, because he was getting it hot off the press from heaven. Glory to God, revelation directly from Christ. Listen to what he says concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Listen to this, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ, which was in them, indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Oh, glory to God. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. See, 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 they understood it wasn't for them. It was for the church. Glory to God. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news or the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Listen to this. Things into which the angels longed to look. The angels were interested in how God was going to do all this. They were blown away by it. Glory to God. So this mystery that was hidden from ages, glory to God, Paul said now is being made known. It was to the rulers and heavenly places. Paul and, and Peter said, look y'all, Michael and me were tripping. They were going like, wow, what is God doing here? This is too good. And that's just why the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice. <laughs> Look, they checking this thing out. They rejoice. They're rejoicing because for every soul that is added, Christ gets closer to completing his church. And then some other stuff is going to happen. And it all goes down at the seventh trumpet, ladies and gentlemen. The seventh trumpet is extremely pivotal. Pivotal. Pivotal in the name of Jesus. Let's take a look at it. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. 
and the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was to come because you have taken your great power and have what? Begun to reign. This is important, ladies and gentlemen. Now, of course, pre-trip says, see these 24 elders, that's the church because they got on crowns. Ladies and gentlemen, there isn't a human being on this planet who knows who these 24 elders are. Unless you have been up to heaven and interviewed one of these guys, you don't know what you're talking about. No one knows who they are. Pre-trip tries to make this the church. We just read that God was making a point to the principalities and the powers. And so what they're called elders, so, so what? Glory to God. It, it doesn't, it, uh, uh, presbyteros, presbyter, the presbytery, elders. Yeah, 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 we, 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 we get it. But unless you've been to heaven, unless you've seen these guys, you don't know who they are. No one's sure who they are. We are human beings writing about things we know nothing about. The Bible calls on 24 elders. That's who they are. We already know there were principalities and powers that God was making a show to. We were already told that, so we don't know who these are. That's not the point. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking, 24 elders, we'll take that up later. Glory to God. The important thing is when the seventh trumpet sounds, something is announced in heaven. What's announced? And there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Now, that is an important statement, ladies and gentlemen, because there is a paradigm and a power and a kingdom shift that is eternal and tremendous. So we're going to contrast this statement with John 18, when Jesus stood before Pilate. Let's contrast the two. Let's look at this. In St. John chapter 18, verses 36 and 37, English Standard Version. Listen to this. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Listen to this now. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would, be, would have been fighting that I, might, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then the fight would be on. Very important you understand what it says here. Because at 
the seventh trumpet that changes. And this is why, again, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. In other words, Christ seizes authority over the earth so far as his kingdom is concerned, because his kingdom, this is why our prayer has always been, thy kingdom come. Well, this is when his kingdom comes not a day before and and, and and to where it sets the stage for him to rule now he has been ruling through and he's been ruling in us as a corporate body of the church but right now the world is still in the hands of the wicked one he is the god of this present age we talk about satan glory to god so but what happens at the seventh trumpet Christ takes his authority back. And this is what it says in verse number 17. Going back up to here to Revelation 15, 17, it says, uh, saying, we give thanks to you, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was to come because you have taken your great power and have what? Begun to reign. So the right, all this time the kingdom of God comes without observation, that's going to be over. When the seventh trumpet blows, ladies and gentlemen, that's when the kingdom switch. And then that's when all bets are off. Everything is about to bust because Jesus is about, he's soon, he's on his way back to reign and set up his kingdom on earth. Now, what I want to do is I want to I want to read to you on this same uh, the same passages out of John John eighteen a, a, a fellow that I had the opportunity of studying under some years ago his name his name Dr D A Carson uh, and listen to what he says he he's talking about Jesus here acknowledges that he is a king but he defines his kingdom the the Greek word but Basilia, the, the, the word has primary overtones of reign or kingship, but not territory, as to remove all possibility of offense against the empire. This is why Jesus defines his reign negatively. That is, his kingdom is not of this world. That's what he means negatively. The world meaning cosmos there. In other words, if Jesus were a king, or a king pretender in any sense that is concerned the governors that that concerned the governors of the empire he would he would have marshaled his followers to fight to protect him from arrest see that's the point that Jesus is making he said listen my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world then my servants would be fighting why because kings have kingdoms Kingdoms have territories. Kingdoms have armies to defend those territories and armies and kingdoms protect their king. So what Jesus is saying here is, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting. The Jews wouldn't be, uh, would not have turned me over and you certainly wouldn't be sitting here questioning me. So Jesus saying, my kingdom is not from here. So he said, and if it were from here, my army would be fighting. 
they would be protecting me because that's what kings did. Glory to God. So remember that kings have kingdoms. Kingdoms have territory. Territories are defended by kingdoms that have armies. And so this is why Jesus was saying that. Glory to God. My kingdom is not from here right now. And the proof that my kingdom is not here right now, my servants aren't fighting. He says, but boy, that's going to change now. Glory to God. At the blowing of the seventh trumpet, the announcement is made in heaven. The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That sets the stage for Jesus to return with his army to rule the world with a rod of iron. That's what sets the stage. The seventh trumpet is critically, monumental, tremendously important. Glory to God. Glory to God. As a matter of fact, let's get a glimpse of what this looks like. This is what it says. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire and on his head are many diadems or crowns. He has a name written that no one knows but he himself. We don't know everything about Christ. Come on now. He got names. We don't even know. We're just humans. Glory to God. Made in his image, but we are limited very much so. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. Glory to God. Oh, you got to turn to John, first chapter, to really understand that. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word was made flesh. He's the word of God. He's the eternal logos. Oh, glory to God. Verse number 14, and the armies of heaven, listen to that. What did I just tell you about them armies? See, when a kingdom comes, when a king has a kingdom, a kingdom has territory. Territories are defended by a king with an army. So when the Lord comes back, he's coming in his war mode, riding on a war horse. And who is following him? Verse number 14, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were, fo were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which, with, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. You see, when the seventh trumpet blows, the kingdoms of this world switch, that it become the kingdoms of this world, become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It sets the stage for in Revelation 19, which doesn't happen right away and at the blowing of the seventh trumpet, because the seventh trumpet, it lasts for a duration. Glory to God. But by this time, we're at the end of Daniel's 70th week, where the Lord actually comes back and and, and actually takes back the kingdom by force. Glory to God, with his army. But that was put on hold when he dealt with Pilate because his kingdom wasn't from here. But once that changes, once the seventh trumpet blows and that switches, that sets the stage. The kingdom took his kingdom. And this is why the 24 elders said, look, he has taken back his power. Jesus said, give me that. I'm ready to go. Glory to God. He's not doing it 
right now. The reason why he's not doing it right now, because he's still building his church. And that's why we got the long delay. That's why the that's why the long delay, the mystery of God, and all of that cannot be completed till the blowing of the seventh trumpet. Because at the blowing of the seventh trumpet, the other part is the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That's why the seventh trumpet is so important, ladies and gentlemen. So in Revelation 18, so let's look at let's look at this again from the King James. Now, this is important that you understand what goes on here. We're back at the seventh trumpet. This is Revelation 11, 18. This is what it says. And the nations were angry. Why? Thy wrath is come. All this happens under the seventh trumpet now. And listen to what happens next. This is so good. And the time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou should have give reward to thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great. Whoo, listen to that, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to that. Now, while this award ceremony is going on for the dead, which God has to raise, God is not going to the graveyard to hand out no rewards. It's called the time of the dead because this is the time where they are raised and rewarded. How do we know this? And who is at this reward? Thy servants, the prophets the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great. But look what's going on on the earth. And thou should have destroyed them which destroy the earth. So let's look at this again. Let's look at it again now. Revelation 11, 18, this is good stuff. Don't miss this. The nations were angry. Why were the nations angry? Because thy wrath has come. That's why they're mad. That's what they were talking about at the sixth seal. The sixth seal was a vision of what was coming. And they said the nation, they said the kings of the earth said fall on us and hide our face from the wrath of the lamb. Glory to God. This is where it begins to get actualized, but it can't happen until the seventh trumpet blows because that's when the kingdom switch. What we saw in, this, in, the, in the sixth seal was a vision of what was going to happen after the seven trumpet blows. So now we're getting the microscopic. The opening of the seals were the previews to come. You know how when a movie is shown, glory to God, they show the previews months before the movie gets out? So the previews that they show are actual cuts of the movie, but it's not the real movie. It's not the whole movie. It's just snippets of the movie yet to come. That's the purpose of the seal. That's what the seals are for. 
as God opens them, he's revealing what's going to happen. And then as you continue to go in Revelation, you start to see what the previews were talking about. Now you get the whole play. Revelation 7, Re Revelation 11, when the seven trumpet blows, is one of those factors of when you start, you're in the real deal. Now you're in the real deal. So a few things are happening in this verse. The nations were angry because wrath is being poured out on the earth. But, at, but while wrath is being poured out on the earth, God is rewarding dead saints. In other words, this is a resurrection, ladies and gentlemen. God isn't going into hell to, rate, to, to, to reward somebody and then leave them there. It's called the time of the dead because it's the time that the dead are raised. And when they are raised, they are rewarded. This is a resurrection of the righteous dead. And this is why God names them, to give reward to thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. So you got two different things going on. You got wrath going on on the earth. The nations are angry. God rewarding the dead while this earth is being, while he's breaking them off on the earth. This all happens at the seventh trumpet, ladies and gentlemen. So why the seventh trumpet is very important. Let's read this from the Holman Bible, Holman uh, Christian Standard Bible. The nations were angry because your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints and to those who fear your name, small and great. And the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. So you got two different things going at the same time. You got wrath on the earth, rewards for the saints. What did the Bible tell us all through? What did Paul tell us all through the Old New Testament? We're not appointed to wrath. You clearly see it here. The saints and all of them, while they'll be rewarded, wrath going on on the earth. This is in the seventh trumpet, ladies and gentlemen. Pre-trib don't deal with this. This is probably some of the first time many of you have ever heard this. Because they're not going to tell you about this part. Let's keep reading. Well, we're going to break the seventh trumpet thing down. We're just, we're just warming up. Okay? So, Let's just review again. What happens after the seven trumpet sounds? First of all, the long delay is over. Revelation chapter number 10, verse number seven. The second thing is the mystery of God is completed. Revelation chapter 10, verse seven. Uh, then Christ seizes authority over the kingdoms of this world. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. The judgment of the dead for rewards, the saints, the prophets, and those who fear God's name, small and great. That happens. Revelation 11, 18. The commitment, the commencement of wrath for those on the earth. Revelation 18. I mean, Revelation 11, 18. So those are the things that happened during the seven trumpet, ladies and gentlemen. This is amazing, isn't it? Glory to God. Now. I want to turn here to one of the top pre-trib scholars, 
around today. His name is Dr. John MacArthur. This is the, you're actually looking at a part of his commentary on Revelation. Now, I want you to listen carefully how he gives commentary on Revelation 11, 18, where it talks about the reward of the saints and the prophets and them who fear his name, small and great. Listen to John MacArthur's words. The judgment will first be of all, be of all time for God to reward his bond servants, the prophets and the saints in them and those who fear his name, small and great. Though the power to serve God in any way worthy of a reward is a gift of God's grace, still all through the New Testament, believers are encouraged, encouraged to work in view of the promised rewards. So notice what John MacArthur has just did. He is, he is giving commentary on the seventh trumpet in Revelation, but he can't help but draw on the truths taught to the church in the Pauline epistles. He has to because it's only two resurrections. Either you're going to be in the righteous, the first resurrection, or you're going to be in the second one. Glory to God, we're going to get to this. So, be a, so John MacArthur here, what he does is he explains the revelation context in view of what was promised to the church. That's important. That's important, ladies and gentlemen. Though the power to serve God in any way is worthy of reward, is a gift of God's grace. Still, all through the New Testament, listen to it now, believers, listen, he's talking about New Testament believers, are encouraged to work in view of those promised rewards. In Revelation 22, 12, Jesus declared, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Listen to this now, he goes on. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So Paul, so John MacArthur is clearly pulling from the rewards of the church, but he's applying them to the text in Revelation, ladies and gentlemen, because there's nothing else he can do. Why in the world would he use text, proof scriptures, proof text that were written specifically to the body of Christ and apply those truths to this text in the seventh trumpet in Revelation? What pre-trib scholars teach all the time, these two have nothing to do. We're going to look at the very stupid, and that's the word I hate, really, really criticizing people, but they have some stupid arguments, and we're going to see them. We're going to see them. Just bear with me. Look what he says. So you got 1 Corinthians uh, 3 and 8 that he just quoted here, which he's quoting. He's quoting uh, uh, scriptures about the church. He has also Colossians 3.24. As a matter of fact, let's go to Colossians 3.24. I, I just want to look at this. I want you to see it yourself. Colossians 3.24. Glory to God. Let's just take a look. Colossians 3.24. What does that passage say? Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive an inheritance as your reward. 
you are serving the Lord Christ. Okay? That's, that's to the church. The church is going to get reward. Reward for their work. Reward for serving Christ. Glory to God. Look at, it, look at how Paul, but Paul is using as proof text to prove what is talked about in Revelation chapter 11 under the seven trumpet about the reward ceremony for the, for the saints there. So what is he trying to say in a backdoor way that this is the same reward ceremony? Wait a minute. Is that what Paul is saying? That this is the same reward ceremony? That's what he's implying by using proof texts that belong to the church, to the revelation text. He's using that. Let's continue. We're going to catch him. We're going to catch him. <laughs> the reward promised to believers is that they will inherit the kingdom in, in both its millennial and eternal phases. Believers are also promised crowns, including the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, and the crown of glory. The crowns are the crowns for the church, ladies and gentlemen. But John MacArthur is using the rewards given to the church, the reward ceremony that happens to the church, and using this, these passages and those concepts as a proof text for Revelation 11, the seventh trumpet, the award ceremony that happens to who? The bond servants of the Lord, the saints, and then after his name, small and great. The reason why he does that is he has no other choice because the truth is the truth. Glory to God. Listen to this. Jesus spoke of two resurrections. Yes, he did. All right. The time has come for the dead to be judged. The two resurrections. Listen to what he says in St. John chapter number five, verses 28 and 29. English Standard Version. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There are your two, there are your two resurrections. The resurrection of the righteous, the resurrection of the unrighteous. There's two of them. Acts 24, 15, this is Paul. This is what Paul said. Having hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both just and unjust. That's Paul saying. Revelation chapter 20, verses four through six. Listen to this. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years was ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. 
over such the second death, which is the lake of fire, has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him a thousand years. There's clearly two resurrections. There's a first resurrection and a second death. Well, a second death precedes or comes after the second resurrection. And guess what? Those two resurrections are, are uh, uh, a thousand years apart. It says they came to life. This is Revelation chapter 20. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life till the thousand years were ended. That's not me making that up. That's the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus talked, spoke of two resurrections, one of righteous, one of the unrighteous. Paul says there would be a resurrection, both of the just and the unjust. Revelation says the righteous, the righteous rose and the rest of the dead didn't live until a thousand years later. What he means by live, they're brought up out of death and then judged. That's how God judges dead people. He brings them out of death. But since they're dead, they're called the time of the dead. Glory to God. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all watch all them crazy movies, uh, 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 Night of the Living Dead and The Walking Dead and all this stuff. You know, those are really perversions of the, of, of the resurrections. You know, Satan perverts everything. Yeah, there will be people that come out of the graves, but they ain't going to be zombies. Is That's true. This, they are gonna be, people are going to come out of the graves. Yes, they are. Glory to God. It's what the resurrection is. Glory to God. So let's go back over this again. Revelation 11, 18, this time from the Holman Bible. The nations were angry, but your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints, and to those who fear your name, small and great. So we know we're not talking about the unrighteous here. There's only two resurrections, the resurrection of the righteous, the resurrection of the unrighteous. Excuse me. In order for the dead to be judged, let me let me emphasize this. They have to be raised from the dead, ladies and gentlemen. God is not going to no graveyards and going, okay, you lived, you, you did good. Here's your reward. I'm gonna leave it here on your tombstone. That's not what happens. Okay. In the lineup with this resurrection, your servants, the prophets the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great. So we know who we're talking about. When does this happen? At the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet is the last trumpet. This is the resurrection of the righteous. The object of this righteous, this resurrection is for eternal reward. Can't mess that up. Even John MacArthur is using, compares what's going on there with the church. Can't get around it. It's not that no credit to him because he teach all that other crazy stuff. I mean, he's got some good stuff, but I mean, John MacArthur is, you know, is going a little to the left. Talk about people can get the mark of the beast and still be redeemed. He, I got a serious bone to pick with him about that. Listen, listen to, excuse me, some of my other podcasts. Well, I deal with him directly and 
and his one of his uh, editors and uh, uh, directors over some of his programs, Dr. Johnson, Bill Johnson. I deal with him on that. Clear that the seventh trumpet has a, has a resurrection and a reward ceremony for the righteous. That's not in dispute, okay? Now, we're gonna look at the biggest coincidence in the Bible. Listen, you're talking about a big coincidence. I mean, a big one. The biggest coincidence in the Bible is the seventh trumpet of Revelation and the last trumpet of First Corinthians 15. Let's just do, let's just go through this. You gonna like this? All right. The last trumpet of First Corinthians fifteen brings a long delay for the church to an end. Is that not true? Has not the church been on earth since Pentecost? When is the when is the church end? At the last trumpet. That's what Paul says. How do we know the delay is over? Because the church will be over. He'd be rapturing the church. The church won't be on earth anymore after that point. <laughs> That's when the long delay is over. So the long delay is over when the first trumpet, when the seventh, when the, when the last trumpet blows. Well, that's funny. The seventh trumpet of Revelation 10 and 11 also brings a long delay to an end. That's an interesting coincidence, isn't it? The last trumpet of 1 Corinthians brings to end the mystery church. The church is a mystery. It brings that, the, the, the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians brings that to an end, right? Why? Because the church is taken out of the world. Hmm. Wait a minute. Isn't it a coincidence that the seventh trumpet of Revelation 10 and 11 brings to end the mystery of God as declared to the prophets. The, cloth, the prophets declared the church, such as Joel's prophecy that declared Pentecost and the church is starting on Pentecost. So what the prophets declared, the prophets declared the mystery of God, but the mystery of God was hidden for perfect knowledge from the prophets, even though they talked about it. They declared it. They didn't understand it. They didn't know what it was. They just wrote the words down. God said, look, write the words down. Don't ask me. Okay? They wrote it down. So the church was in the Old Testament because the Old Testament declared, <laughs> in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. Peter said, uh-uh, these guys are not drunk on wine like you think. This is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And he, he and then he read the whole prophecy. He quoted the whole prophecy because little did Joel know he was talking about the church. Joel prophesied about something. He had no idea what he's prophesying about. Signed about. Peter, Peter talked about it 500 years later. 500 or more years later. Joel, I'm not sure exactly when Joel was written, but I know it, it, it was before the intertestamental period, the intertestamental period, the, the period between Malachi and uh, uh, Matthew is 400 years, and I'm sure Joel wrote his prophecy before that. So we, we're looking at anywhere from 700 to 500 years before it happened. Joel prophesied about it, declared to a prophet, declared by a prophet. At the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God, the oldest mystery in history comes to an end at the seventh trumpet. But it just so happens at the last trumpet, the mystery of the mystery church 
comes to an end. How do we know? Because the church is raptured. That's a big coincidence, ain't it? Hmm. Number three, the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians has a resurrection of the dead where saints of the church are rewarded. But it just so happens. Just not listen, we dealing with coincidences here, right? Just so happens that the seventh trumpet of Revelation has a resurrection where the saints, the prophets, and them that fear their name, they're rewarded. Just so happens. Hmm. As Arsenio Hall would say, so let's just look at this the church is not appointed to wrath according to first thessalonians 5 and 9 but according to revelation eleven eighteen. The resurrection and award ceremony occurs during the seventh trumpet, which is the last trumpet, while wrath is occurring on the earth. So that means as the dead, as the dead are being rewarded, God taking care of that business, the earth is being broke off on wrath. That means the people who are in the reward ceremony miss the wrath. Just so happens, it's a coincidence, right? The angels and a trumpet are involved with the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 15 through 17. Angels and a trumpet. Hmm, it just so happens that an angel and a trumpet are involved with the resurrection that is in Revelation chapter 11 because the angel blows his trumpet. And this, these are the things that happen during that trumpet. Hmm. It just so happens that the trumpet in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is called the last trumpet. But the trumpet in Revelation chapter 11, the seventh trumpet just so happens to be the last trumpet with a resurrection that closes out the mystery of God, that ends the long delay after Jesus takes his authority back, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord. Oh, and just, just so happens. You know, this is real coincidental. I mean, you know, that's coincidence, right? Oh, boy, boy, boy. These pre-trib folks are funny. Okay, let's pick on John MacArthur some more. The MacArthur New Testament commentary, this is what it says. It should be noted that although the seventh trumpet 
is the last in the sequence of seven trumpet judgments. It is not to be equated with the last trumpet to which Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Then he quotes it. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. It also says confer with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16. As indicated above, the seventh trumpet covers an extended period of time, thus distinguishing it from the instantaneous in a moment in the twinkling of an eye event of the last trumpet. Okay, so I want I want to I want us to get an understanding here. All right. Let me set it up before I put my next thing up. Here's what MacArthur is saying. MacArthur's guy said, but y'all don't get these two trumpets mixed up. Don't get them mixed up now. Because there's a difference between the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians and there's a difference and the difference with the last trump, with the trumpet just, just so happens to be last in Revelation. It just so happens to have a resurrection of the dead. It's only two resurrections, by the way. But but but, but this we'll leave that alone for right now. We'll come back to that. So he's saying there's a difference in these two trumpets. But here's the difference. One trumpet is an instantaneous trumpet. And the one in Revelation is a long trumpet. Now you figured the guy with 18 doctor degrees like he got and uh, all these commentaries that he sells all over the world, multimillionaire, John MacArthur has no business talking about anybody prosperity gospel. That man is a multimillionaire so many times over it ain't funny. Just in books, he's a multimillionaire. Trust me. Don't, don't let him fool you. He might, he, he might pull up, he might drive, come up to church in a pinto, but trust me, he, he got a garage with some other stuff. He, John MacArthur is a very rich man. Don't let nobody kid you. But we're not talking about his money right now. We're talking about the point he's making here. They got all these, they got 19 doctor's degrees and 23 masters, right? Okay. This is his brilliant, brilliant exegetical deduction. The difference between the two trumpets. Excuse me. The difference between these two trumpets is one is an instantaneous trumpet. It's one of them 64 notes. And one is a long trumpet. And see, that's his coup d'etat, theological profound point. That's his theological profound point. That's it. All right. Let's read it again. It says, in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. 
As indicated above, the seventh trumpet covers an extended period of time, thus distinguishing it from the instantaneousness, instantaneous in a moment in the twinkle of eye, event of the last trumpet. So he's saying the difference between the seventh trumpet and the last trumpet is one's a long trumpet and the other one's a real short trumpet that lasts for a twinkle in the eye. Okay, let's test this. MacArthur, now MacArthur's not the only one that says this. And we will be getting to it. Uh, uh, you're not the only one. MacArthur, as well as others, make a ridiculous claim. Now you figure with 27 master's degrees and 13 doctor degrees, that they could come up with a solid theological point. But they don't have a solid theological point because we're talking about the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. We all have equal access to that. All you have to do is be able to read. MacArthur, as well as others, make a ridiculous claim here. The claim is the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians 15 and the 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 happens in the twinkling of an eye and therefore is instantaneous, which distinguishes it from the seventh trumpet of Revelation 10 and 11, which is a, a long trumpet blast. But let's put this to the test. Now we're going to test their theory. Let's look at the passage. What does the passage say? All right. First Corinthians chapter 15, 51, 52. This is what it says. English Standard Version. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Now listen to what this passage says. I've got it highlighted in blue. The passage says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So the moment in the twinkling of an eye is dealing with how quickly our change will happen. It has nothing to do with how long the trumpet sounds. You see how cunning these pharisaical writers can take something simple and make a slight adjustment. They were saying the duration of the trumpets were different when the text says the duration of the trumpet is not in focus, what's in focus is, is how quick we will be changed. Has nothing to do, it has nothing to do with the duration of the blast of the trumpet. It does not say the trumpet sounds in the twinkling of an eye. It says we will be, when the trumpet sounds, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's a big difference, ladies and gentlemen. The difference is not the duration of the trumpet. The difference is how they tried to twist that to make it something that it is not so they can maintain fidelity to a doctrine they cannot prove directly. 
Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Has nothing to do with how long the trumpet sounds. This is talking about how quickly we'll be changed. The trumpet can sound all they want to. He's saying when the change happens, that's going to be quick. Nothing to do. Now, these men, like John MacArthur and the rest of these pre-tribbers, they ought to be ashamed of themselves because this is the kind of garbage they teach, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm being hard on them because the average person that's pre-trib does not know the doctrine at this level. All they know is they pastor told them they weren't going to be here, and that's all they know, and that's all they care about. They don't know this stuff exists. They don't know these inconsistencies exist. They don't know that. This passage has nothing to do with duration of the trumpet blast. But the instantaneous nature of the believers being changed. This does not say the trumpet sounds in an instant. These men are liars to say that. That's just a lie. See, they say a lie so much, people believe it is the truth. Just like we're seeing in our political arena right now. We're seeing this. Uh, I'll give credit to, I'm not a Republican. Uh, I, listen, the Democrat, Republican, Independent, look, it's all, it, look, it's two, diff two different wings of the same sick bird. The eagle is sick. Both of the wings are sick. So I, I'm not happy to declare either side. But I can applaud Liz Cheney today for standing up for the truth. She said, I, I'm not going to sit here and back a lie. And just like these people with pre-trib, they teach a lie, ladies and gentlemen. And, 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 and anybody that could see it, anybody that has eyes and wants to hear the truth can see through this stuff. Now, why would they teach that the trumpets are different based on the duration of the trumpet blast? one being long and one being instantaneous, when the passage has nothing to do with that. That's a blatant, blatant mischaracterization of the passage and the intent that God had when these scriptures were written. And they know better. They do. Instead of calling for the moment of the rapture of the church, this is John MacArthur again, as the last trumpet does, he's making this distinct, he's distinguishing again between the two trumpets. Instead of calling for a moment of the rapture of the church as the last trumpet does, the seventh trumpet calls for a prolonged waves of judgment on the ungodly. It does not, it does not parallel the trumpet of 1 Corinthians, but it does parallel the trumpet of Joel 2, 1 and 2. Now, what is Joel 2, 1 and 2? So this is what it says. Blow a trumpet, listen to the language, blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near a day of darkness, gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. MacArthur New Testament Commentary, 
uh, on uh, the part of uh, volume one, one because it's two volumes. And this is uh, chapters one through 11. So this is what John MacArthur is saying. John MacArthur is saying, the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians and the seventh trumpet of, uh, of a, a revelation should not be compared because the seventh trumpet of 1 Corinthians, the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians just deals with the rapture, okay? But the seventh trumpet of revelation has judgment, okay? But wait a minute. Why didn't he mention, well, it don't just have judgment. It also has a resurrection. See, he didn't mention that. He didn't mention that part. He left that out. He left out the part of the judgments, the waves of judgment. Actually, under the seventh trumpet, there is no judgment, in a sense. Because the, seventh trump the second trumpet, we believe, segues into the bowls eventually. See, when the fifth trumpet blows, then they let out the demon locusts. When the other trumpets blow, stuff starts burning up, blah, 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 blah. But the seventh trumpet is different because it's programmatic. First, there's announcement in heaven, then the kingdom switch, the dead are judged, the long delay is over, the mystery of God is completed. There's a lot of things that happen during the seventh trumpet, okay? He focuses in on the waves of judgment and leaves out the part that there's a resurrection in the seventh trumpet also where the righteous dead are rewarded. He, he leaves that out here, okay? But he says what we should compare the seventh trumpet with is Joel's prophecy. Joel 2, 1 and 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Listen, where are they blowing the trumpet in Zion? Okay, so let's let's look at that. Let's 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 put that to the test. Put it to the test. Once again, this state this statement is disingenuous because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is defending against the teaching that there is no resurrection. His intent here is to attack a heresy in the spirit of pastoral love and admonition and is, a, and is of a didactic nature. He's trying to teach here what didactic means. Revelation on the other hand is an expansive apocalyptic disclosure and a comprehensive view of eschatology. And Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians is not a panoramic view of the end times. Paul is answering a specific problem. What is that problem? This is what Paul has to address. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 12 and, uh, through 14, English Standard Version. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Well, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. This is what Paul is addressing. 
He's, a, he's attacking the folly of them who disputed the fact that there is a resurrection. So he concludes the discussion with the rapture. He was not intending to embark on an exposition of eschatological facts and all of the elements concerning this resurrection of the dead. That's not what Paul is doing here. So throwing that in and say, well, Paul doesn't talk about the, this, this, this trumpet only talks about the, uh, the raising, raising of the dead. It doesn't talk about no judgments and all that. And this is why they're different trumpets. Well, if I tell you, I'm gonna pick you up in a car. I don't have to mention that the car got four wheels. It's got four wheels, a steering wheel, and a, and a motor. I don't. I don't have to mention the motor. I, I just told you I was in a car. So the fact that I don't mention the motor, can you conclude then that my car doesn't have a motor because I don't mention the motor? No, I just told you I was in a car. Should you conclude that my car doesn't have tires because I don't mention a car? Because I don't mention tires? No, I just told you I'm going to get a gun in a car. Does it mean, should I conclude that it doesn't have a steering wheel because I don't mention the steering wheel because I just said I'm coming to pick you up in my car? You see the folly, ladies and gentlemen, and trying to interpret something about what's not saying? That's stupid. It's just dumb. But when you have a doctrine to protect, you say stupid stuff. You say dumb stuff to protect your doctrine, to try to always make your doctrine work. You always got to have the needle pointing north. This is the context of Paul's teaching on the rapture, which was not an expansive study on all aspects of the last trumpet. It's foolish to even say that, John MacArthur. Instead of calling for the moment of the rapture of the church as the last trumpet does, the seventh trumpet calls for prolonged waves of judgment on the ungodly. It does not parallel the trumpet of 1 Corinthians, but it parallels the trumpet of Joel chapter 2, verses 1. Let's look at that. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm on my holy mountains. Let all of the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming to the shore, a day of darkness, a day of gloom, a day of our clouds. So this that's the that's Joel 2, 1 through 1. So that's that's what John MacArthur said. We should be matching the trumpet in Revelation with that trumpet in Joel, not trying to match the trumpet in Revelation with 1 Corinthians at the last trumpet. We, we, not, we shouldn't be doing that. But this that was his basis. Let's put this to the test. Now, I'm going to quote another pre-tribber who's going on to be with the Lord, Dr. John Walvoord. I'm sure you heard that name before. Listening to my stuff, you've heard him before. But anyway, let me just read his commentary. It said, the passage starts out with an, uh, the, well, this is me giving my commentary first. It said, the passage starts out with an idiom, blow the trumpet in Zion. It's equivalent to us saying today, sound the alarm, a declaration of warning. This is what Walvoord says in his commentary. Another pre-tribute correctly assesses the meaning of this phrase when he asserts the section begins with a call of alarm 
emphasizing the nearness of an invader. The trumpet or the sofar was a ram's horn blown by a watchman to alert the people of great danger. Now that's coming out of the Bible commentary. That, in other words, Walvor was not trying to match blow the trumpet in Zion with an angel blowing an apocalyptic trumpet in Revelation. It's another ridiculous, it's a ridiculous comparison because it's two different things. Listen. Blowing a trumpet in Zion <laughs> is completely different than the trumpet blown in heaven by the seventh angel, that a trumpet that inaugurates the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, that switches the power base of Christ's kingdom to the earth, fulfilling thy kingdom come. No trumpet blown in Zion could accomplish this, nor end the long delay or complete the mystery of God. John MacArthur's assertion here is beyond ridiculous. That's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous to compare that trumpet with the seventh trumpet. It's just ridiculous, ladies and gentlemen. That's all it is, ridiculous. The double talk begins. Oh, this meant to put up, but now we're gonna catch John McCarthy in some double talk. You know, you, you know, you, you get caught up after a while. What Dr. MacArthur leaves out about the differences of the two trumpets, he fails to mention that both trumpets have a resurrection of the dead. Now he left that part out. Where the righteous saints, prophets, and those that fear his name, small and great. Now, when he's trying to point differences, he doesn't mention the one similarity that's unmistakable. <laughs> Let me repeat that. While he's talking about differences between the two trumpets, he doesn't mention the one similarity that's undeniable. He leaves that out. The judgment will first of all time. This is what this is what John MacArthur says, going back to Revelation chapter 11, verse 18. This is what John MacArthur says about that resurrection in Revelation 11, in Revelation 11, 18. The judgment will first of all be a time for God to reward his bond service, the prophets and the saints and those who fear his name, small and great. Though the power to serve God in any way worthy of a reward is a gift of God's grace. Still all through the New Testament, believers are encouraged to work in view of the promised rewards. In Revelation 22, 12, Jesus declared, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote, now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his labor. The reward promised to believers is that they will inherit the kingdom in both his millennial and eternal phases. Believers are also promised crowns, including the crown of righteousness. So 
the reason why I read John MacArthur's commentary again, because when John MacArthur actually deals with the resurrection that occurs and at this at the last trumpet, this at the seventh trumpet, excuse me, of Revelation, he talks about it as if these people were the church. And he uses proof text to back the concept up because there's nothing else to attach that to. There's only one rewarding of the righteous dead. That's the first resurrection. That's the resurrection of the righteous. There's only a one, a one other resurrection left. That's the resurrection of the unrighteous. The church is part of the first resurrection. So John MacArthur is actually using the, the things that Paul taught to the church concerning reward and is using those passages as proof text to explain Revelation chapter 11, 18, which is talking about the, the resurrection of the righteous, the uh, resurrection of the righteous and the reward that he is trying to say doesn't match the church. Yet he's using passages that apply to the church to explain this passage in Revelation. It's double talk. He's double talking here. Why would MacArthur use a proof text that refers to members of the church? In the seven trumpet text that he claims has nothing to do with the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians 15. Well, if it doesn't have anything to do with it, why are you using those passages that, that are exclusively for the church then in the, in the context with Revelation 11, 18? Why is MacArthur not saying, though this sounds similar to the resurrection of the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians and, and 1 Thessalonians, these are not the same. Why isn't he saying that? The fact that he uses proof text concerning the rewards for the church as proof text for the revelation for the seven trumpet is the ultimate double talk. Let me say that again. Why is MacArthur not saying? Why isn't he saying this? Though this sounds similar to the resurrection of the last trumpet of the first Corinthians and, 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 and uh, First Thessalonians, these are not the same. So why isn't he saying that, all right? I'm not talking about the trumpet blast, we're talking about the resurrections now. Why isn't he saying that? He doesn't say that. The fact that he uses proof text concerning the rewards for the church as proof text for the seven trumpet, again, is the ultimate double talk. Now you double talk. Now you're talking out both sides of your mouth. Which pre-trade people do all the time. Now, we're gonna get into some of the arguments that they use. And we're gonna, this is this is uh, this book is Dwight Pentecost's book, Things to Come. We're on page 189. All right now. They're arguing against the mid-tribulation rapture position because the mid-tribulation rapture position sees the seven trumpet as significant, just as I do. So this is why this is good. Listen to what it says. 
His whole argument talking about the mid-trib guy. This is the pre-trib of Pentecost arguing against the mid-trib guy. His, all, his whole argument depends on making the last, the last of the seven trumpets identical with the last trump mentioned by Paul in connection with the rapture in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. The argument rests on the use of the word last in connection with both events. Harrison himself admits that last can mean one of two things, last in a point of time or last in a point of sequence. By so stating, he is admitting that last in a point of sequence may not necessarily be the same as last in a point of time. The word last may signify that which concludes a program. So this is what pre-trib, this is what pre-trib is saying. That the last could mean a, a program is changing, but not necessarily the last that will ever exist. So this is just some of their theological wrangling that they do, which is which which is really, really ridiculous. Okay, let me keep reading. Now, I'm right here. If he had thought of this trumpet is being one of seven. This is what it, this is not. Now the guy is making an argument of what Paul should have said. What what, what Paul would have said if he was thinking the uh, the 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 seventh trumpet in the way that the mid-trib guy was trying to say. This is what he said. If he had thought of this this trumpet as as one of seven, he would have undoubtedly undoubtedly said something like the following. For when the trumpet will be sounded and the time comes for the last one to sound, the dead in Christ shall be raised. <laughs> so this is what he's saying. Paul would have said if Paul was thinking that the seventh trumpet of Revelation and his last trumpet were the same, Paul would have said it delay. He'd have said it this way. Had, had he the thought of this trumpet as one of seven, he would have undoubtedly said something like the following. For when the trumpets will be sounded and the time comes for the last one to sound, the dead in Christ shall be raised. At any rate, there is no ground for identifying the trump in 1 Corinthians with the seventh trumpet of Revelation 15. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this stuff gets more and more dumb as we go. Dumb and Dumber. Remember that movie, Dumb and Dumber? It, 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 it gets dumber than this. Uh, this, is, this is almost as best as it gets, because now they start getting silly. The trumpet of 1 Corinthians, even the mid-tribulationist agrees. Okay, before, before we get that, I got, I, got to, I got to raise some points. More dumb arguments. <laughs> All right. This argument is another example of theological wrangling over whether last means last in time or sequence. Dr. Pentecost's book, Thing to Come. Now this is, this is, it's, it's like what lawyers do. Lawyers can make anything complicated. I mean, they can take the simplest statement and just turn it upside down to where you, you pull in your hair. 
That's what they're doing here. They're going from last in a secret or last for a program. See, they're throwing in stuff. The author asserts that the trumpet blast could mean the ending of a program, each having its own last trumpet. Okay? This is what he's hinting at. The church has this last and the Israel has this last. That's what he's saying. That's, the, that's what he means by program here. Though this may sound tenable, the question is, is where are these other sequence of trumpets, if that's true, in the Bible? Could you find those trumpets, please? Where are those trumpets? If there's another trumpet that ends a program for the church, which we know that trumpet is, that's, that's the last trumpet. We, we, we got that. But you're saying there could be another last trumpet, and each one could have its own program. Well, that's fine if you say that. Look, I like it. I, I think that's a good idea. All I'm asking you to do is show me that in the scriptures. Where is that in the Bible? Where are the other trumpets? Would you show them to me, please? Find them trumpets. I'll wait. Where are they? I got it. Oh, oh I know where they are. Maybe they're in Revelation chapter 25. That's where it is. Revelation 25. Or maybe Daniel chapter 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel 13. Or maybe Psalm 151. That's where they are. They over there in Psalm 151. God hear them over there. Where the mother trumpets? Where's the other last trumpet? The other argument is 1 Thessalonians 15 says the trump of God. The passage says the trump of God, not that God blows his trumpet. Also in Revelation 15, 2 shows those who got the victory over the beast holding the trumps of God. Now, does that mean God plays the harp too? Holding the harps of God. You'll see what I mean. I'm going to go back to the text. You'll see. Also, if the argument is going to be the trumpet blown by angels cannot be the same as the trumpet blown by God, then find the scriptures where God's other trumpets are that makes the one he blows the last one. And does God blow those trumpets too? The point is also made that the angel's trumpet cannot be put into the same class as God's. Well, if that's the case, the other six trumpets cannot be classified as the wrath of God then, because if the angels are blowing them and, you, and, 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 and those are the angels' things, then that's the angels' wrath and not God's wrath, because God ain't blowing them trumpets as the angels are. You see how that argument goes? You see, they, I can use that argument against them to say, well, see, the trumpets are not the wrath of God. Either. But then you get caught in this circumlocution. Circumlocution, excuse me. Where you're talking in circles. Then the bowls couldn't be considered the wrath of God either because God doesn't pour the bowls out of angels too. It's, 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 it's dumb arguments, ladies and gentlemen. So now let's let's actually look at these arguments. I don't know how actually my answers got ahead of the, the text, but that's okay. Let's look at this over here. All right. 
This is what he says. Item number two, you see it right there? The trumpet that summons the church is called the trump of God, while the seventh trumpet is the angel's trumpet. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Oh, boy, boy. Now you figure these scholars would come up with some solid theological points, but they're not. Look at what it says. In the search for the last trumpet, one must then be guided by the fact that it is God's own trumpet sounded by the Lord himself. Ladies and gentlemen, the passage does not say that God blows the trumpet. It says the trump of God. It doesn't say the trump blown by God. <laughs> then he says here, look at this. It is just a it is just contrary to the laws of logic to say that the last trump, which is God's own trumpet, is the last of a series of trumpets blown by angels. <laughs> Both men and angels are creatures of God. They cannot sound the trumpet of the of the creator. <laughs> and there's a Bible verse that says that, right? See, these are these guys that sit up in a classroom, right? An old stuffy classroom. Sit in the back of a church. Write all these books. Don't nobody know who they are. And, 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 and then they teach this stuff in seminary. And they feed it, force feed this stuff to pastors say, you got to know what we're talking about. You ain't going to pass this course. You're not going to get your degree. So you got to know this stuff. Right? These are the kind of arguments they use. You figure we got some solid theological arguments. They don't. They got stupid arguments like, an angel can't blow God's trumpet. God's trumpet is bigger. God got more rank. And they better not go touch his trumpet. Because they touch his trumpet, God going to get them. They can only blow an angel's trumpet, not a trumpet for the God, for the creator. Creator got his own trumpet. You know, they, they just done threw Kenny G all up in here. Kenny G, they, it's a Kenny G trumpet. But Kenny G, see, the angels got the Kenny G trumpet. But God got the real trumpet, see. And the one that the God, the, and, and, and the seventh trumpet, that's a, and the revelation, that's a long Kenny G trumpet. But then God's trumpet is a short trumpet. That's their theological testimony as to the delineation between trumpets. A fifth grader could have a better argument than that. I, I mean, this is ridiculous. I'm reading from a reference book, <laughs> Things to Come. <laughs> it's a classic written by Dwight Pentecost. Okay, let's look at their third argument. The trumpet for the church is singular. No trumpets have preceded it so it cannot be said to be the last of a series. The trumpet that closes the tribulation period is clearly the last of a series of seven. Okay, so he's saying it can't be the last of a series, the seven trumpets, since no trumpets preceded. Okay, first of all, how do you know no trumpets preceded? How is it the last trumpet then? It didn't say the only trumpet. It didn't say the first trumpet. It said the last trumpet. Last assumes something prior to it. That's what last means. How can you be last if there is no first? 
just defies logic. It, it really does. In Thessalonians, in first, the fourth argument. In first Thessalonians chapter four, the voice associated with the sounding of the trumpet summons the dead and the living and consequently is heard before the resurrection. In Revelation, in Revelation, while a resurrection is mentioned, but now look at what they do. Look, I'm, I'm gonna put my cursor here. Revelation, it says in Revelation, while a resurrection is mentioned, look at what it says, Revelation 11, 12. Let me escape real quick. Let me, let me go to my, let's go to Revelation 11, 12. I want you to see this for yourself now. All right, check this out. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went into heaven in a cloud and the enemies watched them. This man is referencing the two witnesses, ladies and gentlemen. Why would you reference the two witnesses in trying to make an argument against the seven trumpet and not use Revelation 11, 18, where it talks about the reward of the dead and giving them the reward to saints? You're going to use the two witnesses' resurrection. It's disingenuous. Just a few verses down, he didn't even bring that scripture up. Okay, so let's look at this again. In, in uh, 1 Thessalonians, the voice associated with the sounding of the trumpet summons the dead and the living and consequently is heard before the resurrection. In Revelation, in, Revel, in, in, in Revelation, while the resurrection is mentioned, a trumpet does, does not sound until after the resurrection, showing us two different events must be in view, which is just such a stupid argument. This, this is dumb. Uh, the fifth one, the trumpet in First Thessalonians issues a blessing in life and glory, while the trumpet in Revelation issues a judgment upon the enemies of God. But that is not true. The trumpet in Revelation ends the long delay, ends the mystery of God, switches the kingdoms from heaven. It affects heaven. The seventh trumpet affects things that are in heaven. Not only does it do that, it's the time of the dead that they should be rewarded. He, he says that the seventh trumpet issues all these judgments, but no specific judgment happens because the seventh trumpet blows like the other trumpet. Like when the trumpet, I think it's the, the fifth or the fourth trumpet, when that trumpet blows, a third of the green grass is blown, burnt up. When the seventh trumpet blows, it's a programmatic trumpet. Now, things happen in the, in the bold judgments, yes, but there's nothing specific to the seventh trumpet where it is a direct consequential result of that trumpet being blown. Like the seventh trumpet blew and all the melt mountains melted, or the seventh trumpet blew and all the seas evaporated and the seventh trumpet blew, and the earth got split in half. It, it, it's none of that. No, the seventh trumpet blew. Voices are announced in heaven. The 24 elders gave, gave God his glory. The long delay is over. The mystery of God is completed. 
That's what happens at the seventh trumpet. Those are all program, program and paradigm shifts. Programs coming to an end. The mystery of God, as it was declared by the prophet, comes to the end. The long delay is over. Yippee, the church is really, she's full now. She's ready to go home. So what is this guy talking about? This is some more just theological wrangling that actually means nothing, okay? Look at it says, look at number seven here. The seventh trumpet, the, the, the trumpet in Thessalonians is distinctly for the church since God is dealing with Israel in particular, the Gentile in, uh, Gentiles in general in the tribulation, the seventh trumpet, which falls in a period of tribulation could not have had reference to the church. More theological wrangling. Okay, so now I'm going to answer each one of those items. Item number two, the argument is that 2 Thessalonians 15 says the last, the, the last said the trump of God. This is also a very shallow argument. The passage says, as a matter of fact, let's go back to The passage says the trump of God, not that God blows the trumpet. For example, Revelation 15, 2 says, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those that had the victory over the beast and over his image and over the mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Now these guys got the harps of God. Now that's the harps of God, right? Just like they said, the trump of God. Does that mean God is playing a harp? Come on, ladies and gentlemen. This is... You would think that people that got all these degrees, 27 masters and, and 13 doctorates, you would figure that they would have some serious theological arguments here. All of this is superficial, superficial and poppycock. Okay? Are we to conclude that the harps of God, that God is, is, is play, he's playing the harp here? The harp? So now God is playing the harp because it's the harp of God. Come on now. And then he says, item number three, the trumpet for the church is singular. No trumpet has preceded it. Therefore, it cannot be said to be the last of a series. <laughs> if it's last, it cannot be the only one, number one. <laughs> it can't be the only one. <laughs> you said it's a singular trumpet. You're saying it's the only one then. <laughs> if it's last, it can't be the only one, dude. Come on now. <laughs> last implies at least a first. If it's not the last of a series, then what is it last of? <laughs> if it's a program being referenced such as Israel or the church, then find the scriptures that show the last trumpet for that program. That's all you gotta do. Don't say it. Will you show it to me in scriptures then? See, you, you can tell me that, but show it to me. Show me when God is finished with Israel, he sends an angel and blows a trumpet and find that trumpet in the scriptures, in apocalyptic scriptures. Would you find that, please? Where is it? I'll wait. Hint, hint, it ain't one. Item number four, we're making reference to the rapture in Revelation 11. Surprisingly, he refers to the two witnesses and not Revelation 18, where the dead 
with the saints, with the dead, with the saints, the servants, and those that fear his name, small and great. But why? Why would you go to the witness, two witnesses, and not go to the reward ceremony for the dead? Well, you why did you leave that out the conversation? Y'all act like that's not a part of the seventh trumpet, and you know it is. But you leave that out. Item number five, the author claims that the last trumpet issues a blessing and life and glory while the seventh trumpet issues judgment upon the enemies of God. Once again, they failed to mention that the seventh trumpet, the righteous dead are rewarded. Why do they keep leaving that part out? Just because something isn't mentioned is not the basis for a good argument. Like I say, if I mention I drove a car, I don't have to mention that I, I don't have to mention the four wheels and the stern wheel and the motor. I just say I had a car, right? Now, granted, at the seventh trumpet, it does say that wrath has come, but that's thematic. That's not, that's not specific to how the wrath is being executed. That's one of those, that's one of those generalized statements. The wrath is articulated in the bold judgments of Revelation 16. Item number six, the long trumpet versus the short trumpet argument. First Corinthians 15 says nothing about the length of the trumpet blast, but the instantaneousness of the rapture itself. So I'm done with the screen share. I'm done with this lesson. We're out of time. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason why I wanted to bring all these things to your attention is simple. When you really look at pre-trib, when you start really breaking it down, that's exactly what happens. It breaks down. Revelation is full of information for the church. That's what God intended. He didn't intend for theologians to come and write, rewrite all this stuff and make his words none effect to the church that's going to be going through this stuff. So it's what it's in the Bible for. Why do you think it's there? We wouldn't treat any other book in the New Testament like we do Revelation. Oh, that don't apply to us. No, because you done taught a doctrine that came over here by John Nelson Darby, told you the Holy Spirit was a restrainer. The restrainer was going to be rapture, uh, 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 removed before the revealing of the Antichrist because the restrainer is in the church. You cooked up an entire doctrine about the restrainer, said, he had, said it was the Holy Spirit that had to be removed. You didn't use any of the uh, scriptures concerning the beast ascending out of the bottomless pit, a prison for demons, where that beast is locked up. That's where he's being detained. You didn't mention anything about the restraining angels that, that do the restraint of the demons that are doing time in the bottomless pit. You didn't mention the fact that one angel by himself restrained Satan, threw him in the bottomless pit. Satan couldn't bust a grape for a thousand years. Come on now. It's always been the angels. They work in God's behalf. But God doesn't help angels. When he gives them tasks, they take care of it. Glory to God. Revelation chapter number seven. I'm sorry, read the seventh trumpet of Revelation, the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians, are one and the same. One is given from an apocalyptic point of view. The other was given 
in the context of pastoral counsel, apostolic instruction to a church who were dealing with two different issues. First Corinthians dealt with the issue of people saying it wasn't a resurrection. First Thessalonians deals with the fact that the saints were asking what happens to our dead loved ones. If the Lord comes back, they're already dead. Then what's going to happen? Because they believe the Lord was coming back in the first century. So Paul said, you know, this, you know, I'm going to tell you this, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Comfort one, another, comfort one another with these words. They were seeking comfort because they were tripping. They were, they were depressed over the fact that they had loved ones that had died. And they were asking, well, what's going to happen to them? If the Lord comes back, they already did. Paul said, well, they're going to rise first. God got to answer for that. That's what Paul was talking about. Bree Shribden came and turned backflips and made this thing a whole nother thing and, and got people expecting to be gone for times the Bible said we're going to be here. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our lesson on the seventh trumpet. I actually, well, well, there actually will be one more because then I have to deal with the trumpets of, of the Mount Olivet disclosure from uh, chapter uh, Matthew chapter 24. We're going to deal with those. We're going to put them all together. We're going to line them up. Listen, God bless you and keep you in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in. I told you this was going to be good. Listen, I love you guys. We'll be back next time in Jesus' name. God bless your people. Keep them, protect them in these wild and crazy days in this world. And in America, Lord God, protect Israel. They're under attack. Well, not so much that Israel is doing more attacking than anything else. Glory to God, but that we're praying for the peace of Israel. Lord God, bless them and keep them in Jesus' name. Bless our people in Jesus' name. God bless you. We love you. Take care. You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end time prophecy, a powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. The world is spiraling out of control at an alarming pace. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods devastate entire communities. Global pandemics kill hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness threaten our societies. Political instability and the threat of war increase hostilities between nations. The birth pangs of distress are getting more intense each day. The question is, what do all these things mean, and where is this world headed? Unfortunately, at a time when people need answers the most, many do not know about the end times. You Must Know the Times, Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy, is an eye-opening book that is specifically designed to educate readers on a wide range of subjects concerning the last days. This book will equip you to discern the times, in which we now live. You will learn what the Bible says about the signs of the times, the conflict in the Middle East, the tribulation period, the nation of Israel, the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the battle of Armageddon, the rapture of the church, the return of the Lord, and many more essential topics. Discover the powerful message the book of Revelation has for Christians, and the perils that await a rebellious world. The Lord warns, look, I am coming like a thief. The one who is alert and remains clothed, is blessed. Therefore, it is vitally important that you must know the times. Be aware, be informed, and most of all, be prepared for things to come. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times, by Dennis James Woods, at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.